good, uh, good choices there. It made me, made me think, um, if, if, you're, if you're willing to help me out here, I'd like to do a little survey, okay? Some of us here, would we knew it was the right thing to be baptized, we took that bold step out into outer space and walked down the pew, or the, the aisle among the pews, and we came down to the first pew where no one is ever allowed to sit unless you need to be baptized. And maybe the song that they were singing was Trust and Obey. If you remember that it was Trust and Obey, would you raise your hand? I'm curious how many people remember that that was the song. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now let me, I think I've got one that tops it. If the song they were singing was Just As I Am, okay, I've seen a few of those, okay. All to Jesus, I surrender. Yeah, okay. I think that's just you, Steve. But uh, the I don't. I mean, nobody else is, is biting on that one. But uh, how many of you do not remember what the song was? That's the majority right there. Okay, they were probably getting very nervous about stepping out and coming forward because I tell you, that can be one of the scariest things to do. I mean, you are, you are basically going, uh, you know, EVA, extravehicular activity, without an umbilical cord, and you're just floating down that aisle. Now, most of us are comfortable getting in that aisle if we're going to the back. But when you have to come this way, it gets frightening. One of the things I want to try to convince you of over the next few weeks is this is not a difficult place to be. You saw how happy Danny was up here. I mean, you can all be happy up here. This is good. There's nothing wrong with this, okay? The kids come up here. They do coins for Christ. I want you to feel comfortable about that. One of the things that I've been thinking during this past year is that we may have unintentionally put up obstacles to people who want to be baptized, who've decided to be baptized, but they're not sure how to do it. And we used to have the invitation song. And then we stopped doing it when most of us were online watching through the, the camera. And even if we bring back the invitation song, it may still be a bit intimidating. What I want all of you to know is baptism is yours for the asking at any time if you are ready to accept Jesus as the Son of God if you're ready to confess that he's the Son of God and you believe that it's the right thing to do for repentance and for the forgiveness of your sins then baptism is yours for the asking you um, you can do it during a worship service or you can do it at some other time as well I just don't want there to be any hindrance there. Coming up and being intimidated um, is often intimidating for the person who wants to be baptized, but rarely is it ever intimidating for the person doing the baptizing. Now, I did have this one experience in Texas where I had talked to someone who was going to be baptized that day, and I said, after we sing the song after the sermon... Just come up and we'll take care of your baptism. I got up and did the announcements and then they sang a song and here he came. I said, now what do we do? Well, we've got to baptize him. That's what we're going to do. And so we did. 
We also learned that we didn't have all the right sizes of garments uh, for my friend. Um, he needed a few more X's on his, on his outfit. Even my X's didn't suffice for him. But we baptized him. And baptism's about that faith. John the Baptist, I really had a heart for John the Baptist that day because John the Baptist has a moment where he has been baptizing so many people and yet he gets knocked off his pins the day that Jesus comes to him and says, I want to be baptized. John's not expecting that. And can you blame him? He's been talking all about Israel, getting ready and repenting, get ready the one who's coming is the Son of God. He is the Redeemer. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is the Messiah. And when that Messiah, that Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world shows up, he says, John, you need to baptize me. John says, I think we've got this backwards here. Who can blame him? Let's take a look at the Scripture. You'll find that version in Matthew 3 uh, where John and Jesus have this back and forth. Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. It's a good thing that John agreed. And then all that were there witnessed the togetherness of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and the declaration that God made of His Son, Jesus Christ. And there's a few things that I want us to notice here, okay? First of all, baptism is the right thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. Some of you will remember an uh, actor by the name of Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley always played cowboys, government officials, and grandfathers. I think during his whole career, he was always playing one of those characters. He's a rather rotund fellow, uh, had a big uh, Teddy Roosevelt mustache. I liked Wilford Brimley because he wasn't glamorous. And, uh, and, and they later got him to do all sorts of advertisements. You may remember him advertising diabetic supplies. Uh, Wilford Brimley was that kind of actor that just reminded us, look, all that glamour stuff is false. The truth is, we're all going to get old, we're all going to get big, and we're all going to get diabetes. So let's just go with it, and if you can be, you know, if that's going to happen to you, then you could be just like Wilford Brimley. But before the diabetes, Wilford Brimley was telling us about oatmeal, and the advertising campaign was so sharp that what he would say is, you know what? Eating Quaker oats is just the right thing to do. He didn't tell you that it tasted better. He didn't tell you that it was made better. He didn't tell you it was a superior product. He just said it's the right thing to do. I hope he didn't tell us that if you eat Quaker oats, you won't get diabetes because then that would be a bit embarrassing later on. But at the time, he was just saying it's the right thing to do. Do it because it should be done. 
And what we see in this text is that Jesus says that being baptized is just simply the right thing to do. John doesn't preach a sermon that is meant to make everyone feel guilty. He doesn't get everybody tortured and feeling the flames of hell licking at their backsides, no. He just is preaching the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus doesn't need to respond to any of that. Jesus simply comes forward and says, I need to be baptized. And John's thinking, what did I say to motivate you? Jesus says, I want to be baptized because it's the right thing to do. You know, we, need, we take it for granted sometimes. We forget that Jesus was baptized. But what Jesus shows us in being baptized is that this is where sinners come to repent. You're saying, wait a second, wait a second. Jesus didn't sin, did he? No, he didn't. But Jesus is participating in our sinful condition so that we can participate in his divine situation. Jesus is identifying with us so that we can identify with him. This is why John is so surprised by it. But if Jesus is going to be just like us, then he's going to be baptized just like we ought to be. He's going to participate in our condition so that he can save us. Jesus is submitting to God's will in this baptism, and that's why it's the right thing to do. And and as I've just said, Jesus participates in our experience so that we might participate in his experience. In Romans 6, in Romans 6, Paul describes the baptism for believers and what it means. And he says things like this in verse 4, For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. When you were baptized, you were participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you haven't been baptized yet, then I want you to know it's the right thing to do because this is where you come into contact with Jesus. This is where you imitate Him even as He imitated us in His baptism. That's why it's so important that we don't forget that Jesus was baptized. Christians of long ago, I'm talking about in the first, second, third centuries, they had a view of baptism that viewed baptism as so important because it was in your baptism that you met Christ there, that you shared in that river experience with Christ. It's not just about being baptized in the same physical river as Jesus. It's about being baptized in the same spiritual river as Jesus. And so they would say things like, in baptism, we meet Christ. He's still there waiting for us. His presence, His Spirit is hovering over the waters. You know, when we call people to baptism, sometimes we act as if this is a fine that somebody else paid and we just need to pick up the receipt. But what if I told you that by being baptized, you're showing up to identify yourself with the one who loved you enough to save you? How does that change the way you feel about your baptism? Well, baptism is also pleasing to God. It's the right thing to do 
and it pleases God. Notice that when Jesus is baptized, something happens. Heaven opens up. We hear a voice from the Father. We see the Spirit descend as a dove. Do you see that right there in that word picture, you've got Father, Son, and Spirit all together as one? Jesus is connected with His Father. Just as we're connected with Christ in baptism, according to what Paul said in Romans 6, Jesus is connected with the Father and Spirit as the Son. And the words of declaration are spoken over Him. Jesus has pleased His Father. If anything gave Jesus joy, it was pleasing His Father. Later on, Jesus' disciples, he'll send his disciples out. And in the name of the Father, they will, they will cast out demons. They will heal the sick. And when they come back and report this to Jesus, Jesus is full of laughter. He's full of delight. And he gives praise to his Father. They have pleased Jesus. You know, so much of religion can be turned into a fearful enterprise where we are constantly on the line thinking that if we take one misstep, God is going to zap us. And if all that ever motivates us to do the right thing is fear, then we might not really ever be doing the right thing. We will do far better if we are motivated by the love of God. If we understand how much He loves us, if we can just get a glimpse of how much He loves us and how much better His future is for us than anything we can come up with on our own, then we would lean into that. We would give ourselves up for that. It would be worth it. We would say that that would be a hill worth dying on. And in baptism, we go and we die to all of our own selfish plans, all of our fearful plans, all of the expectations that the world puts on us that are untrue and unfair, and we, we lean completely into His expectations. We're submerged into it. When we're baptized, we find out who we really, truly are. Do you know that in baptism we're given an identity? Scripture uses different terms for this. We put on Christ like clothing. In other words, we have a uniform. Uniforms sometimes tell people who you are, depending on what kind of uniform you're wearing. It might tell people your role in society. In ancient cultures, often the clothes that you would wear would tell people um, what your status was and who you were. There were colors and there were badges and there were, there were hats and there were decorations that would mark someone out as free, as slave, as a member of this community or a member of that community. When we put on Christ in baptism, then we're saying spiritually, we know who we belong to. We know whose child we are from this moment on. And when you think back about your baptism, you don't have to have any doubts. You know that it was there that you surrendered your life to Christ and He claims you now. Jesus gains that same benefit from His baptism. In every one of the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, immediately after this, or shortly after this moment of His baptism, He is taken into the wilderness to be tempted. 
40 days, 40 nights, he's fasting and he is tempted. Now remember, Jesus participates in our experience so that we might participate in his divine nature. It's because of that baptism that Jesus knows who he is that he is able to resist the temptation of Satan. Satan tempts him in three ways. Now, this is not just the old things that we've often heard about uh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, which sounds sort of like Jesus is being tempted by all the things we ever heard that were bad, sex, drugs, and rock and rolls, whatever, you know, uh, wine, women, and song, whatever you want to say. Jesus is tempted with some very high-level temptations, but I'm going to tell you, we are too, because it is basically the temptation to serve and gratify and satisfy and exalt ourself over God. Every sin operates in that way. When Satan says to Jesus, Jesus, why don't you turn stones to bread? I mean, yeah, you're fasting, you're out here in the wilderness, but surely you've proven yourself. You can tell this rock to become bread. Now, what's so wrong with that? When's the last time you've been tempted to turn a rock into a piece of bread? I know some of us have turned pieces of bread into rocks. That wasn't a temptation, it's just a disaster. But if you could turn stones to bread, you could feed the world. Oh, yeah. If, if you could turn stones to bread, you could solve a lot of problems. How often does Satan try to tempt us with our own ability, tempting us to use our ability to solve problems, to satisfy ourselves? Jesus, because he's been baptized, he knows what the right thing to do is, and he knows that God has said, this is my son, I have great joy with him. And so Jesus chooses at that moment to trust in God satisfying him, not in satisfying him himself. He's also tempted to do a strange thing, jump off the temple. That's an odd temptation. To jump off the temple? Well, it's, it's like being asked to show off. He's, a, he's also being asked to test God. Satan actually brings up Scripture and says, you know, when I read the Bible, Jesus, I notice that he is going to give his angels uh, the duty of protecting you, that no harm will ever befall you. So, why don't we put that to the test and make sure, now if you jumped off the highest place on the temple, they would have to swoop down and pick you up. Let's make sure that you've got full protection before you go into this risky business of being the Messiah. So protect yourself, Jesus. Protect yourself. Jesus instead chooses to trust God, and he's not going to put God to the test. Finally, he's tempted to glorify himself. When Satan says, you see all these kingdoms? They can be yours. All you've got to do is worship me. Now, Jesus is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. What Satan was saying is true. In fact, what Satan often says is true to a certain extent. It always has a little twist to it that corrupts it. 
If you go to the Sight and Sound Theater's production of Jesus this summer or, or later this year, I want you to pay very careful attention to the moment where they portray Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. And as he's praying that God takes this cup from him, as he's praying to God that there might be another way possible, that he doesn't have to go through the agony of the cross, you hear the voice of Satan in the background. And I want you to pay careful attention to it if you watch it because it's incredible what they do. There's one moment, I didn't catch this until the second time I saw it, there's one moment where the voice of Satan, when Jesus says, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And the voice of Satan says, with God, all things are possible. That is the most wicked twisting of Scripture ever. Telling Jesus that with God, everything's possible. Thank God that Jesus resisted that and put his trust He said, not my will, but yours be done. Satan wants Jesus to worship him, which is really worshiping yourself. And finally, again, I want you to connect this to his baptism. Because of that baptism, Jesus can then turn to Satan and say, get out of here, Satan, for the Scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. How can Jesus say that? Because at his baptism by John, he made that decision. That baptism was his anchor point. That was the point that he reached back to and said, I am the son that pleases my father. So I have no more to listen to from you, Satan. Did you know that your baptism can do that for you? Did you know that that's what your baptism means? That as Satan wants to draw you along, and tempt you to satisfy yourself, glorify yourself, protect yourself, solve all the problems of the world, solve your own problems. At your baptism, whether it's past tense or future tense, that is where God is saying, I will protect you and satisfy you, and I will glorify myself in you. And when we walk free, like what Danny was leading us in when we sang the song about the leper who was made clean. Our testimony then is not about our own ability to make ourselves clean, but the word and the song that we have is, He made me clean. He made me clean. He saved me. And every gospel that we preach is about the power of Jesus Christ to save us if we surrender to Him. We're going to continue to sing these songs, and as we come around the Lord's Supper table, I want you to know that we've been invited. We've been invited to a life. Let's stand together and let's sing, and then we'll be led in communion.